Go Scots! Hey, this is, all right, let us pray. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, let's, let's, let's actually have a sermon. But let's pray, please. Father, right now we need your help more than we even know. All of us in here, Lord, have something that hurts, something that we wish to conceal, something that we regret, something that Jesus needs to heal. And so now we ask for the balm of the gospel that only the Holy Spirit can provide. These dear students, faculty, staff, everybody here, including me. So help me, Lord, give me words to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to draw your attention this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 8 through 16. Had to give a, a title to this talk for a release form, assuming I'm signing away my life and rights and everything else before I started. So the title that I made up on the spot is How to Live in a Tent. Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 8. This is God's word. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, his designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the living God will endure forever and ever. Amen? We moved here, as Grant mentioned, about two years ago, and I grew up in South Carolina. We were called from Columbia, South Carolina, and in 2021, um, it was really, really hard to find houses, you might have heard. Uh, so we looked at our house here on Lookout Mountain over FaceTime and, and, and bought it that way, which was the single most nerve-wracking experience of my life, uh, to do a house tour on FaceTime and never lived on a mountain. I, I'd never actually been to Lookout. Loved the PCA, loved Covenant College, had never been up here. So when we moved here, um, come up, 
Ox Highway, and the way it took me was on the Ox Extender there, which is now closed, much to my annoyance, first world problems and all that stuff. But it's closed, and when you go off that extender there, there's that rock, there's probably a name for it, that people park on the side there, and they camp up there. And when it was really cold a few weeks ago, or back in December, I was driving there one day, and it's like 15 degrees out when all that stuff hit. And there were people up there camping. And I thought to myself, like, first of all, that's crazy. Um, but second of all, even if you're not camping on a rock, even if you like camping, which I love to camp, love to be outside, the thing for most of us is we know that when we're done camping, we get to go home to an apartment, to a dorm, to a house. And as we look at the text before us here this morning, the author of Hebrews is telling us something about a tent lifestyle where we don't go home to a, an apartment or a house or a dorm room. Now, many of you may have read the book of Hebrews. Just set the context for us real quickly. The themes are pretty easy to trace. The author of Hebrews uses the terms better, more, things like that, 26 times at least. Uh, so he's got a theme there that Jesus is better. That's why he opens up the way he does. We don't know who wrote it. The other two themes that, that we can trace out through this letter is faith leading to perseverance. Faith in Jesus because he's better than the old covenant way, the old covenant system. Faith in Jesus because he fulfills all that, leading to perseverance because apparently the original audience was being tempted to go back to a different way other than following Jesus. And so we come to chapter 11, and here we have in these short verses probably the most compact and profound treatment of the lives of some of the patriarchs anywhere in the New Testament. And so I want to just trace two things with you this morning in verses 8 through 12, living in tents, and then in verses 13 to 16, looking forward for the city or to the city. Living in tents and looking forward to the city. You see how he started this passage, by faith Abraham obeyed and went out, not knowing where he was going. Let's put some legs on that. You go back to Genesis 12, where that happens when Abraham's called by God. He is not the heir, he's not the firstborn of Terah's sons. He's in a pagan land, with archaeological evidence, there was a moon god named Sin in that part of Iraq, where Abraham was called from, so he was a pagan. And he was childless, which was a, a curse upon people at that time, seen by the culture as a curse upon people at that time. So three strikes and you're out for Abraham. He had nothing to commend him to God. And God comes and calls him to a land he doesn't know where he's going. And then he makes these promises in Genesis 3 and Genesis 12:3 and following, saying, I'm going to give you this land, and I'm going to give you descendants. And his wife's past the age. And so, as the author of Hebrews traces it out, he is living in a tent with his wife, and now at this point, the partial fulfillment of the promise with his sons. And they're living in the land that was promised, but did you see how he put it? They lived there as though they were foreigners. In other words, he had the promise of inheritance, he saw some of it, but remember what his name means. 
father of many nations. When God makes that covenant with him in Genesis, he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Now I want you to picture Abraham before they had their first son, he and Sarah going down to the market as they would have probably done in that cultural setting. And somebody asked him his name. Names were so important. What's your name? Father of many. How many kids do you have? None. Imagine that might have been a little bit uncomfortable for him for roughly two and a half decades to hear that day in and day out. And here he is with the partial fulfillment in this land. And here's what the author is drawing our attention to. They're living as foreigners in tents. That is very picturesque Old Testament imagery. There was a whole feast in Israel's calendar, the Feast of Booths, dedicated to remembering the fact that they were strangers even in the land. So throughout the history of God's dealings with his people, his people have always been tent dwellers. Even though Abraham was very wealthy, he was still seen as one, or saw himself rather, as one who was a tent dweller. He didn't look at the land as his permanent possession. He wasn't allowed to do that. But even if he had seen more of a realization of the promise, the author of Hebrews tells us there in verse 13 that he still lived like a stranger and an exile. This is not a stray theme in the book of Hebrews. If you start back at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, go through Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, what you see there is the author of Hebrews quoting again and again Psalm 95, and he's talking to us. He makes that clear at the outset. Hebrews 1, 1, in these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son. The last days have been going on since Christ's first coming, and they will come to an end at Christ's second coming. So he is writing to us, and then in chapter 3, he compares Israel in the wilderness to the experience of Christians now. We live in the wilderness. And as a friend of mine put it, the wilderness is a place of testing, not resting. That's why he says, today if you hear your, his voice, do not harden your hearts. In other words, the theme of wilderness and tent dwelling goes hand in hand. You don't get a permanent residence here. Even if you live in a mansion, you're still a tent dweller. Even if you have all earthly goods, you're still a tent dweller. Even if you have everything you want in this life, if you're a Christian, you're still a tent dweller living in the wilderness according to the author of Hebrews. And what he wants us to see is that on top of living in a tent, his wife had been barren. She was as good as dead, he says. And yet by faith, from him were born multitudes of nations. If you're a Christian here this morning, you're the fulfillment of what he's writing about. Paul says that Abraham had the gospel preached to him beforehand. Jesus says in John 8, 56, Abraham saw my day and was glad and rejoiced in it. So when Abraham looked for an inheritance, 
of land and seed, two major portions of that covenant promise, he wasn't just looking at physical land or physical sons. He was looking at the one who would descend from him. That's why Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. That's why Paul could write he had the gospel of Jesus preached to him thousands of years before. Because by faith, he looked beyond the present to the reality. He accepted the nature of tent dwelling because he was looking forward to a city. Another prominent thing. Second thing we'll talk about here this morning. Living in a tent versus looking forward to a city. Where we else have we read about cities in the Bible? Man tries to make a city right before we're introduced to Abraham. Tower of Babel, come let us make a tower to the heavens. Do you see the echoes of Genesis 1 there? Come let us make man in our own image. As William James put it, the uh, psychologist in the early 20th century, uh, man made God, God made man in his own image, and man returned the favor. That's what's going on in Genesis 11. Come let us make a city, a, a tower up to heaven. And then when you get to the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21 and 22, the Apostle John sees the new heavens and the new earth coming down from heaven in the shape of a bride, a temple, a garden, and a city. Symbolic imagery to tie together the entire Bible, telling us all inheritance, the lasting place, the lasting glory always is by grace. Man doesn't build a city up to God. God brings it down from heaven. That ties together with what he's just told us about Abraham. He gave Abraham all these promises and Abraham never saw them fulfilled fully. Because Abraham looked ahead and kept walking by faith when everything in his experience militated against that faith. And the author of Hebrews has already gone through with Noah and told us the same thing. And as he describes the city that they're looking forward to, he also compares it to desiring a better country. If they desired just this country, he says, they would have gone back. They would have gone back, like Lot's wife. Why did she go back, by the way? Because she didn't have the faith of Abraham. She wasn't looking to the gospel promises. She wanted everything right now. Remember, Sodom and Gomorrah was the really, really good-looking part when Abraham and Lot separated. Abraham got kind of dumped off in the crags of the mountains. Sodom and Gomorrah was a fruitful plain. We walked by sight, not by faith. And the overarching point the author of Hebrews is making for us here is the entirety of your life and mine, if you're a Christian here this morning, is one that will never see the full blessings realized in my life or yours. There is no earthly benefit coming to us right now. 
Yes, you'll enjoy peace of conscience, forgiveness of sins, union with the resurrected Messiah, incomparable blessings, but spiritual in nature. So that no matter what happens to you physically, no matter if God blesses you with wealth or things or possessions, it's never the end game. It's not a tent mindset that says, I want it now. No room for Burger King faith for the author of Hebrews. Your way right now. No. It's a looking ahead to what is coming. Looking for the better country, the better city, the better inheritance. All the while living in a tent, as it were. And so here's where he's going. He finishes there. Because of all this, the argument he's been making back in verse 8, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Second time he's used this language, Hebrews 2.11, he says, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. Ladies, don't be offended by that language in the New Testament, by the way, with brothers. Um, Every man is a bride because every person who's a Christian is part of the bride of Christ, and every woman is a brother because all of us are adopted as children into God's family and called brothers and sisters. Okay, so just a side note there. Sorry, ADD. But anyway, here's the deal. God's not ashamed. Jesus is not ashamed. Why is he not ashamed? Is it because of the faithfulness of Abraham that he's not ashamed? Is it because of some inherent quality in Abraham's faith that God looked upon him and said, I'm not ashamed of you because of the strength of your believing. I'm not ashamed of you because of how well you obeyed and went out of your land. Is that why he's not ashamed? No. God is not ashamed to be called his God because Abraham knew the inheritance was never the city. It was never the land. It was never sons. Because by spirit-wrought faith, which if you're a Christian here today, Paul tells you you have the same faith as Abraham. By spirit-wrought faith, Abraham looked to the greater inheritance, which was nothing less than God himself, by the Spirit in Christ. That's why Paul says he has the gospel preached to him. The blessing of Abraham was Jesus himself, the one who is preeminently the man of the wilderness inasmuch as he was also the man of the spirit, as the prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 61. Jesus cast into the wilderness right after his baptism as he symbolically reenacts the history of Adam and Israel in himself and then is cast by the spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, one day for every year that Israel wandered in the wilderness. And why, why, why did he do it? Because he knew that you and I, in the wilderness of this life, would never make it unless he went before us. Unless he obeyed. Unless he was the better fulfillment of Abraham, whose obedience was partial, temporary, and faithless at points. 
And as he underwent the same temptations that Israel and Adam underwent, food, the kingdom without the suffering, all the things the devil was trying to do. And as he stayed faithful, it's because he knew that there would be no inheritance for his brothers and sisters if he ever was anything but faithful to his father's command. And therefore, here's two things I want to just leave you with as we think about Jesus fulfilling all this. What we desire determines where we place our faith. They desired a better country. Faith here is driven by desire. Believing the promises when he didn't see them fulfilled, Abraham was driven by desire. So where you put your faith is directly proportionate to what you actually desire. And that's a question to ask, isn't it? And, and this is where we have to be honest with ourselves. What do we really want in this life? And I think if most of us are honest and we're not trying to hide anything, we say, if I could just be comfortable, get a good job, have good relationships, not really have struggles with mental health, um, not really get cancer or anything like that, and just, just kind of have a good, normal, 21st century American life, and I died, and I'm not sure about Jesus, I'd still be okay. I think that's where a lot of us live. That, that Jesus becomes a nice app on the otherwise undisturbed sea of the cell phones of our life that we tap on every now and then scroll up for a little bit, and then forget. And what the author of Hebrews is pleading with us to do this morning is to say, nothing in the present will satisfy, only the inheritance of God himself in Christ is what will actually satisfy. And you may have heard that your whole life, but I have to ask you and I have to ask myself, has that come home? Are we living in a way that says to people around us, I am not looking at this city, this world, this life for my happiness. I am looking to heaven. I am asking Jesus to make me so heavenly minded that I'm the most earthly good. Are our desires being shaped by the cross with the knowledge that the crown is in sight or is, are our desires being shaped by a culture that's desperate to make us think all of this is a lie? And the last thing, God here calls us to live as heirs until the inheritance comes. you know you're getting an inheritance and you know it's coming you are going to live differently you are not going to worry about the same things somebody told you you're going to you know, family member god forbid is going to die and leave you a million dollars you're going to have a very different mindset at the end of this day than the one you woke up with if you learn news like that today 
Here's what God's saying to us. Every day. Every day, as Paul tells us, we are co-heirs with Jesus. Every day is a new day to live as an adopted son, as part of the bride of Christ, as a co-heir with something so much better. And the only way to keep living by faith like Abraham did is to look to the one who is our inheritance and makes our inheritance of himself possible. And it's only when you live as an heir that the inheritance of Jesus will be magnificent. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these students. Pray for them in their studies. Pray for them as they go to class this afternoon. Pray for them as they wrestle through life and college and highs and the lows, the ups and the downs. And I thank you so much for this place, Lord. Thank you for every one of these students. And we plead with you this morning, Lord, that you would make us those who have a tent dwelling mindset. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.